We're going to be looking together this evening at the summary of the Bible's teaching in Article 14 of the Belgic Confession, which is entitled The Creation and Fall of Man. In background to that, we're going to read from Scripture in Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to read into and through chapter 2 as well to have that um, before us again. Genesis 1 at verse 26, verse 25 verses of the chapter declare to us the glory of God's creative work. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and each of the six days unfolded as God spoke. At the end of each day God looked and saw that it was good. That's where we leave off at the end of verse 25. God saw that it was good. And then verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that, ha that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, there was no man to till the ground, but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life that was also, was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four river heads. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedelium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hittikel. 
It's the one which goes toward the east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord commanded, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So far, our reading from the Holy Word of God. I encourage you to keep your Bibles open here. And if you're able, turn with me as well to Belgian Confession, Article 14. If you have the Forms and Prayers books, page 166, the uh, Trinity Psalter Hymnal, page 859. 166, 859. Article 14, entitled, The Creation and Fall of Man. We believe that God created man from the dust of the earth and made and formed him in his image and likeness, good, just, and holy, able by his own will to conform in all things to the will of God. But when he was in honor, he did not understand it and did not recognize his excellence. But he subjected himself willingly to sin and consequently to death and the curse, lending his ear to the word of the devil. For he transgressed the commandment of life which he had received, and by his sin he separated himself from God, who was his true life, having corrupted his entire nature. So he made himself guilty and subject to physical and spiritual death, having become wicked, perverse, and corrupt in all his ways. He lost all his excellent gifts, which he had received from God, and he retained none of them, except for small traces, which are enough to make him inexcusable. Moreover, all the light in us is turned to darkness, as the scripture teaches us. The light shone in the darkness, and the darkness did not receive it. Here John calls men darkness. Just to pause for a moment, I intend to preach about this far in terms of the teaching that we have. I'm just going to read the rest of the article for uh, context and for your benefit. 
Therefore, we reject everything taught to the contrary concerning man's free will. Since man is nothing but the slave of sin and cannot do a thing unless it is given him from heaven. For who can boast of being able to do anything good by himself? Since Christ says, no one can come to me unless my Father who sent me draws him. Who can glory in his own will when he understands that the mind of the flesh is enmity against God? Who can speak of his own knowledge in view of the fact that the natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit of God? In short, who can produce a single thought that he knows, a uh, single thought since he knows that we are not able to think a thing about ourselves, by ourselves, but that our ability is from God? And therefore, what the Apostle says ought rightly to stand fixed and firm. God works within us both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. There is no understanding nor will conforming to God's understanding and will apart from Christ's work as he teaches when he says, Without me, you can do nothing. So far, our reading through what we are taught to confess, what we have heard from the scriptures and how we respond in making this confession from out of uh, what we've heard from Scripture. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a lot of confusion today as to what a man is, what a woman is, and what that all means, and how that works its way out in society. My challenge here is that we should not take this difficulty that we experience around about us as an occasion for pride and arrogance on our own part, but rather as an opportunity for us to be returned again to a sense of awe for the way that God has created man and woman, male and female, he created them. That we may be in awe again at the wonder of our need for redemption as we think along the lines of how God created man and woman to be and are faced with the challenges that confront us in society, let us be in awe for the wonder of the grace God has shown us in Jesus Christ. And let us appreciate that what we are given in the created order, as we've read of that in Genesis 1 and 2, is not some fairy tale, and is no insignificant detail in terms of where we come to stand in the knowledge of Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Perhaps there are more among us even here this evening who sometimes wonder, who am I? What am I here for? What is life all about? What does God have to do with it? And so we do well to return to 
the opening words of Scripture. We didn't read the particular verse 1, verse 1, but in the beginning, God. And earlier articles of the Belgian Confession have talked about creation and God's glorious work of creation from out of nothing. Earlier articles have spoken of the blessing of God's work of creating the angelic beings. And there's the acknowledgement as well that with Satan and his host, there was a group of the angelic beings who rose up in pride and arrogance over against the Lord and live in rebellion. But that brings us here this evening to the consideration of the creation of man. The creation of humankind, if you will. Male and female, he created them. And what does that mean? What does that mean for us? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? We're going to consider the glory of our creation in the first place, the grief of our fall in the second and the grace with which we may be restored in the third place, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, the one in whom the image of God is clearly revealed to us. What does it mean that we were created in the image of God? We speak of the glory of our creation. I just want to highlight briefly the way our confession words it in the opening words. We believe. This is what we stand together saying from the heart. We believe that God created man from the dust of the earth. Again, we are saying we don't believe. This is a myth. We don't believe that this has taken place through evolutionary processes. We believe that this took place in real history. When God spoke the world into existence. And when we come to the formation of man. Man and woman created in the image of God. We're given the details in Genesis chapter 2. Man was created from the dust of the earth. We're talking about real dirt we're talking about real history. We're talking about a real man by the name of Adam. But the key thing for us to appreciate here is the way that already in Genesis 1 verse 26, we see that God is taking the time to bring us into his own deliberations, you could say, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image he says. And already here we're giving, uh, given a clue as to the glory, the special nature of the creation of mankind over against everything that has gone before. Man stands apart. And Genesis 2 verse 7, as we've read that, also speaks of how the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. And that could be translated, man became a living soul. And so we see there is a distinction between man and every other creature under heaven. There is the sense that he has been breathed, uh, that life has been breathed into him by God. God is his life, we say. 
And that was something that is lost in the course of the fall, we say with great sadness. But when we have tied that together with what the Bible says about being created in God's image and likeness, we see that we've been given a special privilege. We've sung words from Psalm 8. When we consider the heavens and the work of God's fingers, and then we just give some thought to the moment, uh, for the moment, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you should visit him, that God has shown special favor, that God has created us for the special privilege of relationship with him, that we may relate to him, that we may reflect his image. Now, boys and girls, you know that when we say we are created in God's image, we're not saying that we look like God physically. God doesn't have a body like man. God is a spirit, right? Eternal, unchangeable. God is glorious and a spirit. But when we're told that we are created in God's image... We understand from places like Colossians 3 verse 10 and Ephesians 4 verse 24 that we were created to know God, to love Him, and to live for His praise and glory. Our Belgian Confession says we were created good and just and holy. And the glory of our creation is that we were made to walk with God, to reflect God, to serve God, to have dominion in His creation, to represent God. And able, by our own will, as the confession says, to conform in all things to the will of God. We're able, by virtue of our creation, perfect, without the stain of sin, to be able to say God's will alone is good. God's will is so good. God's will is always good. This is the glory of our creation. We've also sung from Psalm 139. And you're familiar with the language of Psalm 139, how we were knit together in our mother's womb, fearfully and wonderfully made. My soul shall praise you, we say with the psalmist. That my soul knows very well. The glory of God's creation is what we need to be reminded of. So we're able to walk with God, able to appreciate He is our true life. Life is found in sweet communion with God. Now it's important that we stand here in the order of creation, the foundations that God Himself laid when He spoke the world into existence. Because what we read here in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is of ongoing significance for what God is like, what his world is like, and what it's like to know him and to live with him in the joy of life. And so we see in Genesis 2, there are a number of aspects of what we would call creation ordinances. The first one is the Sabbath. That's a creation ordinance, we say. 
In Genesis 2, verse 2, on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. God set that day apart then. And you could say, in a sense, that the first day, the first full day that Adam and Eve enjoy in the presence of God after their day of creation is a day of rest. The first day is a day of rest. And, and the commandments remind us, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, to keep it sanctified. And Jesus teaches us that the Sabbath was made for man. Now that's a statement that ties indirectly to Adam the man. The Sabbath was made for man. It's a creation ordinance. Now we need to move on and appreciate that work as well. The blessing and privilege that we were made to honor God with a life that is serving Him, being fruitful, multiplying, and having dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and the beasts of the field. Um, as 2 verse 15 um, adds to that, Adam was placed in the garden to tend and to keep it. A glorious privilege for us to be, as it were, God's co-workers, to stand alongside of God and to reflect Him and represent Him in all the work of our hands, in the way that we serve God in the midst of His creation. And the third creational ordinance because we see from the beginning when man was created, male and female, he created them. We are interconnected and interdependent. Let none of us ever say we don't need the other. Let no man ever say I'm more important than a woman or no woman ever say I'm more important than a man. The Apostle Paul makes that very plain to us, doesn't he? In uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 11. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 11. Neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman. But all things are from God. But the glory of the way God has created the universe and the way he has created mankind is that there is this, what we would dare say, a binary reality. There is man and there is woman. We're not told that there is a spectrum. We're told that there is man and there is woman. That's an important aspect of the glory with which we were created. We need to make sure that we stand here if we're going to be a blessing in the midst of a world of confusion today. That's the glory of our creation. But let's appreciate in the second place the grief of our fall. The grief of our fall. The Belgian Confession puts it this way, but when he was in honor, he did not understand it, and did not recognize his excellence, but he subjected himself willingly to sin and consequently to death and the curse lending his ear to the word of the devil, for he transgressed the commandment of life which he had received. Now the commandment of life is plainly given to us in what some call the covenant of works 
in Genesis 2, the verses 16 and 17. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Now just listen and appreciate the, the beneficence of God, the magnanimity of God, the, the, the overflowing kindness and goodness of God. You may eat of every tree of the garden. Now there were two trees that had already been referenced specifically in Genesis 2 verse 9. There was the tree of life in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, those two particular trees will serve a particular purpose in terms of God declaring, I'm God. And here is the commandment of life. You eat from all of the trees and you have been blessed to be fruitful and to multiply and to honor and serve me. But you stay away from the one tree because I'm God. Because that's what I have to say. And the one tree that you are to stay away from is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, our confession calls this the commandment of life because I believe implied there is the fact that there is, of course, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Sorry, besides the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there's also the tree of life. And the tree of life promises something more. Promises life that is to be enjoyed with God forever. But rather than listen to God's commandment of life when he said, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you may not eat, and on the day that you eat of that tree, on that day, you will surely die. We read here in our confession, they instead lent their ear to the devil. Do you remember, boys and girls, what the devil said? God had said, on the day you eat, you will surely die. Satan says, Genesis 3, verse 4, you will not surely die. He was a liar from the beginning. And what we have there is, of course, Eve, we understand, is being deceived by the devil. But don't forget that as she is being deceived, Adam has his eyes wide open. Adam was right there with her, if you see at verse 6. She gave to her husband with her at the end of the verse, and he ate. He was right there. He didn't stop her. He didn't protect her. He didn't warn her. He didn't challenge her. Rather, together, the two of them had lent their ear to the lie of the devil. And, and listen to how crazy that is. If you understand, they had been told to have dominion over the beasts of the field and the serpent in those days, as the devil made use of the serpent, was, you could say, a beast of the field. And rather than having dominion, rather than taking leadership, they give ear to the lie of the devil. And so they transgress the commandment of life, and they're separated from God. What happens is life becomes miserable. God is their true life. Man becomes guilty. He's, he's burdened down with a sense of guilt. They need to cover themselves. 
They need to flee from God. Trembling, they run and hide. They become subject to physical and spiritual death. We experience sickness and disease. We have the groanings of creation today. The creation has been subjected to futility. And we're all going to die. Now as Christians, we know we're not afraid of death. Ultimately, it is our gateway to eternal life. But death is indeed ugly. And not the way it is, you could say, supposed to be. It is not the way things were designed to be, you could say, in terms of God's created order. But that's a reality we deal with. But in addition to that, read further in the confession. Man himself became guilty and subject to physical and spiritual death, having become wicked, perverse, and corrupt in all his ways. Now that's a sad way to describe who we are by nature, but it's true. We were by nature children of wrath, the Bible says, serving various lusts and pleasures just as were all the others. Again, being very careful here not to have this great sense of us and them. This is what we were by nature. And then it says he lost all his excellent gifts which he had received from God and retained none of them except for small traces which are enough to make him inexcusable. What do we have? We've lost everything, you could say. We were created to reflect God, to bear his likeness, to show the world what God is like. And by nature, we've lost that. How do we understand that, that we've lost the image of God? Well, we haven't stopped being human beings. Indeed, we are still made in the image of God. We've lost... What was described here as being good and just and holy. We've lost the ability to do the will of God, the desire. It's not in our interest at all. We are dead in trespasses and sins. But we do say that we are still called to be God's image bearers. We have that responsibility. And that's what we are in terms of our created being. It's important for us to appreciate that. In Genesis 9 verse 6, we're warned against the taking of the life of man because man was created in the image of God. In James 4 verse 9, we're urged to be careful how we use our tongues to bless others and not to curse them because they were created in the likeness or the similitude of God. And so we have this sense that we need to appreciate that man is still to be seen as an image bearer. And that ought to impact the way that we see the world around us as confused as people may be. As messed up, as mixed up, as perverse, to use the language of the confession. Indeed, the language of scripture. We live in a crooked and perverse generation. Nevertheless, to see those who struggle in these ways as image bearers who need 
the life that is found in being joined in communion with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now we need to appreciate that uh, in spite of the fact that we're being told today that the perversion of God's created order is a good thing, it's not. It's not at all a good thing. When we, when we speak here of the, the fact that we've lost the ability to honor God the way that we should, to do his will, to conform to his will, to be good, just, and holy, there are traces which remind us we are image bearers. We are those who know that we belong to God, enough to say that we are inexcusable. And we have to see that as a reference to what is given to us in the Bible in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, we're told at 1 verse 20, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And we may be so bold as to say, There is not a man or a woman or a boy or a girl in all the world who's living now or who's ever lived who doesn't actually know that God has made them for his glory. Now we suppress this truth. We push it away because we don't want to hear it. But this reminds us of what we were created for. But what we see in terms of being without excuse is a progression as we see it unfolding again in the world around us. It unfolds again and again, but it shows us that we are in a challenging time. So in the first place, we see in the verses 21, 22, 23, exchanging the knowledge of God or exchanging an understanding of the Creator for who He is in all of His majesty and glory for a focus on the creature. And it's all about me. So, uh, turning away from God to idols or to idolatry. But that gives way to what we see in verse 25 and following. What happens then is we exchange the truth for a lie. Just like, just like Adam and Eve did. They heard the truth and they gave ear to the lie of the devil. And the world turns its back. We by nature, we're the same. Turns our back on the truth of God and imbibes the lie. But then the next step is what we see in verses Uh, 26 and following, for this reason God gave them up to vile passions. When we speak of the wickedness, the perversity, as is summarized in the Belgian Confession, we're talking about giving up natural sexuality between one man, one woman, male and female, he created them, to the perversion that is expressed in the way of homosexuality and every other sort of perversion. Now, please understand, this is where Paul says this leads. 
And my intention is not to have us with a razor, laser focus on this particular challenge and sin. It is an illustration of the reality of the brokenness that is ours because of the fall in one way or another. And let's each of us again acknowledge and confess we are all broken. We're all sinners in one way or another, and we're all deeply in need of the grace of God in Christ. But what we need to appreciate is that this brokenness that speaks of us at the end of the day, succumbing to lies and living in darkness and being unable to see and to receive the truth, cries out to us for the need for redemption as it is in Christ Jesus. The horror that God should give a culture over to their own desires is serious. And the Bible is also very plain that those who are devoted to drunkenness, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and following, and also homosexuality, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 6, such were some of you. And we could say, in terms of a broad understanding of our sinfulness and brokenness and not having life apart from God, such were all of us. But there is hope that is found in Jesus. And the hope is not found in doing our own thing. The hope is found in acknowledging that by nature we would go against the created order of God. By nature we would be our own little gods. And by nature we would not have life. Ephesians 5 verse 8, we were all once darkness. By the grace of God to us in Jesus, now we are light in the Lord. Could it be, therefore, as we think of this grace by which we are restored, that there could also be in us a graciousness and an urgent commitment to speak the truth in love over against all of the confusion that we see around about us? The blessing that we are restored to the image of God is found in Jesus Christ. He is the express image of the invisible God. Colossians 1.15, Hebrews 1, uh, 1-3. And he is the one who restores us to what we were meant to be. Familiar words in Romans chapter 8. Encourage and remind us of this. Romans 8 verse 28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who has said, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who has served God in our place in true knowledge, in righteousness, in holiness, in devotion. He is good and just and holy. And there is the blessing that we may know forgiveness through him. 
We may know the hope of eternal life in Him. We may be restored to how things ought to be, how things are meant to be in God's created order through the wonderful work of Jesus' redemption. And let's be encouraged that God is able to do immeasurably more than we would even begin to ask or imagine. If there are any of us who struggle in any way, who am I? What am I all about? Let us be encouraged that our hope is found in being grounded in the reality of the way God has made things and then being restored to that reality through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we are new creation. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 17. By his wondrous grace. And so, in this confidence, we beseech the world around us, be reconciled to God in Christ. Amen.